Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Prynne Edwards. WA Real brings you real and authentic stories from fascinating people right here in Western Australia. Today, my guest is owner of Old Young's Distillery, James Young. Born and bred in WA, James has had a varied career, ranging from graphic design in Perth to head hockey coach in Lithuania, from advertising to WA sports administrator in netball, and then swimming, where he was CEO of Swimming WA. He then took a change and took over the old Wild Swan Distillery site, renaming it Old Young's Distillery. Specialising in vodka and gin, um, there are where, where it's based mainly on WA and Australian produce. His wares have won a whole swag of awards, both nationally and internationally, that have led him to being named Australian Champion Distiller of 2017 at the Australian Distilled Spirit Awards. James, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you very much. Cool. So, um, yeah, head coach of the Lithuanian hockey team. How did that come about? Um, it's a slightly longer story than just rolling up to Lithuania, which is what I usually tell people. Um, me and a mate were sitting on my couch in East Perth watching Eurovision, and he's the head music writer for the West Australian. Um, and we'd had a couple of gins, and I said, this is ridiculous. You're the music writer. I'll go as your photographer. No, whoever wins next year, let's go to Eurovision. And he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, then Estonia won. We both kind of like this is we actually pulled out an atlas, didn't have Google, pulled out an atlas and uh, said, where is Estonia? And uh, looked at it and went, oh, yeah, the Baltics, that sounds cool. And uh, Tallinn, that looks beautiful. And so I harassed him for nine months after that saying, we're going to Eurovision. We're going to Eurovision. And he's like, yeah, yeah. Have you asked your boss for permission? We're going to Eurovision. And... Um, Eventually got the permission. I, I actually had already got us accredited. So I went as his photographer. Uh, he went as the music writer. He convinced the West to, to let him, to get him accredited and let us go. We'd always been planning to go backpacking, but we said, right, we're going to start by going to Eurovision and yeah. then we'll go from there. So we, uh, we went to Estonia. We had a ball. We had a blast. Uh, um, the Baltics at that time, this is pre-EU integration. This is the time of the Baltic Tiger. This is a time of, like, great optimism, um, huge investments from Europe into places like Estonia and Latvia and Lithuania. And um, so we got there in May. The weather was perfect. The girls were stunning. We had a ball at Eurovision. We just had way too much fun. And Latvia won the next year. <laughs> like, hell yeah, we're going back. <laughs> so... Um, we went back to, and both times we, we went, we both kind of sort of swore and declared that we would sell up and move there. Right. Um, it was just too good. It was like, it just had this amazing energy to it. So the next year we came back and we went to Estonia again because we were always going to go back to Estonia again. Then we did Eurovision Latvia again. I was there as a photographer again. Uh, I was the only Australian photographer there. Yeah. And so um, I got put in the official uh, photographer's pack for like the, the rehearsals and stuff. And there's me with this tiny little dinky <laughs> SLR trying to turn off the did it sound when it, uh, when it uh, focuses. <laughs> and then everyone else with their enormous mm. bloody kit because the, they're the one German photographer who's allowed in there or the, the one um, uh, UK photographer who'd been pulled out of the ballot. So we did that and had a ball again. And then we finished the, the, um, the trio by going to Lithuania. And over there, um, met a guy who sort of said, look, I've got all these business opportunities over here. All you need to do is come back and we'll find something for you. And um, when we both came back swearing and declaring we'd sell up and move there, I did. Right. Um, so I actually had just sold my graphic design business, which was the first business I had after uni. And so I moved. I said, right, I'm going to go to Lithuania for a couple of months and just see what pans out. So a week before I went, I... Uh, Heard that the I, I found out that they played hockey there. And the hockey's been my life uh, the longest thing, it, it, constant thing in my life. Right. I played hockey since I was seven, forty-five years old now. So that's what thirty-eight years of hockey. You still play? Um, yeah, still play. Um, off camera and off air, I'll tell you all about the goals I scored this year. <laughs> um, but, um, uh, yeah, so um, I, I got in contact with the Hockey Association purely to say, "Hey, look, is there a club I could play for?" Hockey president's a real scoundrel, a real rascal. He's a great guy, but he's a rascal. Um, and uh, he said, yeah, sure, come and play for my club. And so I got involved in playing for his club when I got over there and uh, 
very quickly asked me to coach his club. They played a lot of indoor hockey there, and it was winter, so I was helping out with some indoor hockey. And um, after that, a lot of those boys in that team were then picked in the national under-18 team, and so they asked me to go as an assistant coach to the to the European C Division Under-18 Championships. Yeah. So I went along and... I was a bit astounded by how unprofessional things had been done previously. And so things yeah. that would have been absolutely stock standard for me playing hockey over here over the time were not being done. So scouting on opposition teams, a little bit of video analysis, um, team meetings before matches, um, all of those things weren't tending to happen. So I did all those things with the boys and yeah. they were all a bit stunned because they knew the team lineup the night before the game and it wasn't just the coach coming down to the pitch and just going, oh, God, you play left half and you play right half and, yeah. oh, God, we need a centre half, you better do. And, and and it was all very sort of ad hoc. So I put some systems in place and did all of that and very quickly the boys in hockey in Lithuania is pretty average. Yeah. It's never been a, a huge sport. Everyone plays basketball in Lithuania. Basketball is gone. Right. So, um, but hockey and women had a pedigree of success because they used to provide a lot of the players the old, USSR team. Right. So um, uh, the women's side of things actually had some damn good hockey players, not a lot of um, system around it, but some really good hockey players. So the girls kind of found out about what are some of the things I'd done with the boys and said, no, 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 we want him to coach us. So um, it very quickly progressed from being the, the assistant coach of the under-18 men's at C Division European Championships to being the assistant coach and then the head coach of the, the both the national women's team and the and the women's under twenty one side. <laughs> so um, yeah, it, it all happened pretty quickly. But uh, once I was there, um, but it was there was no rhyme or reason to it. I went to Lithuania to see what would happen, and that was part of what happened. How long did you stay for? Uh, all up about eighteen months, but I coached the team for eight years. So I was going back from Perth to Lithuania to conduct camps and go to tournaments and. Uh, whenever I could get back, I did get back. cost me a couple of jobs. Um, I'd go back to Lithuania for four weeks and come back and uh, find out that the, the agency would say, yeah, no, nah, maybe we don't need you. Um, so that was always fun. Um, but it, uh, I'd never regret it. I had a, I had a ball. So, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, so from 2003 to 2011, basically, um, I was involved in the, in the national setup for Lithuania. Excellent, excellent. So, big question: Why distilling? My, understand, <laughs> my understanding is that you were CEO of Swimming WA, sort of, sort of, or yeah, about to uh, be. Yeah, yeah, exactly to right. Be. You went in there to present a great marketing plan of how Swimming WA was going to go ahead, and yep. presented all yep. of that um, from my inside knowledge. And, and and then it was like, there you go. Thank you very much. Now I'm off. I'm going to go and make a gym. Yeah, pretty much. That's, that's pretty much bang on. So um, I got to be appointed CEO and resign the same day, which I think if you're ever going to do that, like I'd recommend that heartily to everyone. Like, hey, you're appointed. Hey, I resigned. Um, that, and the way it fell was I had been acting as CEO for th- three or four months. Mm. Um, the previous CEO had moved on and they'd appointed me as acting CEO. But then they went through a recruitment process, um, came down to two, two candidates, and then they decided that I was the preferred candidate. And so we'd agreed terms, a contract and everything. And my last thing, I had, the last thing for the rubber stamp was me presenting the, the uh, five-year plan to the board. Yes. Um, and as it turns out, that board meeting was the day I signed the papers to buy the old, basically defunct uh, Wild Swan Distillery. Right. So I got to walk into the board meeting and say, hey, I do have this great plan, um, but you're going to need someone else to to deliver it. (laughs) And they were a little bit taken aback and sort of said, oh, what's happened? Where are you going? Are you going to another sport? And I said, no, 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 I've bought a distillery today. And <laughs> yeah, it was, and it was literally that day. Um, the papers had come through, signed back from from the other guy and uh, uh, the previous owner. And um, so uh, they said, "Well, what's are you going to another spot?" I said, "No, no, no, I bought a distillery." And they said, "Oh, look, we're not even sure we can be angry at you for that." <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, in the end, I. Um, said to them, look, you can tell me to go and pack my desk and make, I will walk out the door if you want me to, but you can do what 
I think you should do, which is still appoint me. I'll do it for six months. There's going to be handover time with me changing the licenses over and everything anyway. Yeah. So still appoint me. Give me six months. Um, and uh, hopefully I can do some good things in that six months. And, and, and also it's during the summer season. So in swimming, obviously, it's a pretty busy time. So mm-hmm. I'll get you through that. We'll do a nice long recruitment. I'll be there to hand over. We'll do we'll do a proper handover, and um, and the new CEO will get a, a nice clean slate to work with. And it was great fun being CEO for six months. Is the best thing ever because well, you know you've got an end. Well, exactly. Yeah. And the, the analogy I always use is um, it's like when you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend that you know is going away. Right. So like. <laughs> The little things don't bug you because you know that you can just like plunge into it, have a ball, like ha- have the best time of your life. But also, you know, at the end, there's there's a there's a it's there's so an right. ending, and so you can just kind of go and have have the best time of your life because you, the little things are not going to bug you, mm. and you're not sitting there saying, "Oh, where is this going?" or "What's this going to happen with this?" And it's a bit like that with um, with being CEO for six months because. I got to say yes to a lot of things. I said, yes, we'll do that. Yes, we'll do that. Yep, we'll do that. Yeah. Um, there was I'll a let, few. Uh, I'll let my previous have yeah, to sort the rest of that out. <laughs> or more trying to get it so that the new, so the new guy um, got a really good, like got a good team, uh, walked in with a half decent team, um, walked in with um, having potentially made some of the unpopular decisions. Mm. I made them. didn't matter if everyone hated me. I was going. Yeah. So if I said yes to some things and no to some things that were potentially unpopular within the sport, but bloody good for it, yeah, I could do it. Excellent. Um, so, uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Tell me, tell me where, tell me the lead up to that decision. Where, where did it, where did it come from? So, okay. So, so why the stealing, I guess, is <laughs> that question. But, um, so I had had an idea for a gym. Um, and, it was one of those wonderful penny drop moments. It's like the first person who just painted a canvas black and put it up in a gallery and everyone said, well, I could have done that. Yeah. The point is he didn't. Yes. And so I had one of those moments when this, this wonderful penny drop moment where I was going, I've got this idea for a gym. And like, how can no one have ever not thought of this? And then no one had. And then that just gnawed at me. Mm. That just gnawed away at the back of my brain. Did you know how to make gin at this point? No. No, 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 yeah, knew how to drink it. Very good at that. Drink gin, gin for Australia. But, um, uh, the, it, it was just one of those things that someone should have done this. It needs to be done. And, and that was, that was the, 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 um, moment of, uh, the, the birth of that idea. Right. That, that was that, that, that magical little moment. Um, what was that idea? Can't tell you. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't released it yet. So okay. four years later, I still haven't released it. Okay. Seven years later oh, from the idea. So it's still in the making. So it's still in the making. It's okay. very, very close, but it's, it's not there yet. So um, that, but that just gnawed at me. And so that was enough to and sit there and tap, 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 tap. What about me? What, what about this idea? And so I um, went, I, I started to do some research and I saw that not only was the idea good, but the timing was good. Craft Distilling's doing what craft beer did 15 years ago and what Boutique Wine did 30 years ago. Swan, oh, just, just internationally. Yeah. So that fragmentation of the market, if you go back 10 years, people drank Gordon's. They drank, if they're a bit fancy, they drank Bombay. If they're really fancy, they drank um, Hendrix. Yeah. Hendrix is only 17-year-old brand. Yes. Bombay Sapphire is only about a 25-year-old brand. Mm. Um, so you had this sudden going from those – those key brands, the Gordons of the world, the Tanquerays of the world, the Bayfetters of the world, suddenly there was a bit of a breakout with things like Tanqueray, uh, not Tanqueray, um, Hendrix, but then the small distilleries started popping up. So you go back uh, 10 years, 15 years, I guess, um, someone like Lime Burners turned up and made whiskey in the southwest and, and Bill Lark uh, started his whiskey 25 years ago in 1992 in Tasmania. But... Mm. The, they were the real, real, real pioneers. But what had happened in the last three or four years was that in the US they'd gone from 100 to 1,100 distilleries and in Australia probably gone from a dozen to 30. And right. in, since then it's gone from 30 to well over 100. So there's now probably 120 distilleries at least around yep. Australia now. So the idea was good. Timing was good. Um, it seemed to sort of feel my skills. 
I've done chemistry at uni. I'm still waiting for that information to come from the back of my brain to the front, but <laughs> it's coming. Um, so I did chemistry. I've done some marketing and advertising when I came back from Lithuania. So I had a good, strong sense of brand, um, reasonable storyteller. That's important. And I had a, enough technical knowledge to be able to make it. Um, so that was the, that was the, it seemed like there was a whole lot of things that had all kind of lined up that made sense um, to make that all work. Hang on. Front door. There we go. So we're back. <laughs> the listeners in live, we're, we're actually in the distillery. I'm and we're selling just stuff. Uh, so, <laughs> this is live. Yeah. So, um, so the time's right. So timing's right. So um, then I heard about a distillery in the Swan Valley that the old owner had opened up his distillery nine odd years ago and had <laughs> treated it a bit like a hobby, I feel like. Um, and so he'd never quit his day job and he worked here on weekends and made product, but maybe he never kind of dived fully in, headfirst in, um, yeah. like some people are silly enough to do. Um, yeah. But um, so, and eventually moved to Canada. So I was trying yeah. to run it by remote control from Canada. So, um, then and that's when basically it's bloody hard to run your business by remote control from Canada. So yeah. he, I, that's when I got in touch and said, "Let me take this problem off your hands." Yeah. So that was that was the sort of the journey to to hey let's let's make some gin. So and just so we're clear, at yeah. this point when you signed the paper, had you ever made a bottle of gin before no, in your life? Not a single one. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I didn't make a bottle till after I actually properly got my ATO license. I did actually make um, in in the lead up. So after I'd bought the place, so once I'd, I'd um, taken over the license, but before I actually took possession, once the 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 transfer of the license had great happened. But um, so I did make some gin in the laundry for a bit as a yep. practice run. Um, so the very 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 first gins that I made were made in the laundry on a little five liter still. I won a gold medal with one of those gins. Oh right, yeah. I made. It. I won a gold medal with a gin run of nine bottles. I think it was. <laughs> um, the, our first ever gold medal for gin was um, was at Hong Kong, and it was a gin that I made in my laundry. Um, and then when in August, when I eventually got my hands on the distillery, then obviously I started using the proper equipment and bigger equipment. But mm. that was kind of good having those four or five months where I kind of did some trial and error stuff and got some things right and got a few things wrong, but mostly got them right. And touch wood, I've been lucky. I, I, so just so we're clear, you, you've never been on like a master distillers course? Or no, like no, 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 no. So no, I, went, I went to some conferences and I did some tours of distilleries and I spent some time in distilleries. I did some little one-day courses. Um, and I was never the guy to look it up on YouTube, but I'm sure I could have. Um, but uh, no, I, I basically taught myself... It's, it's not rocket science. It's heating up a kettle and, and making sure you get the right ingredients in the right place at the right time and making sure you don't let things stuff up. But, um, yeah, I, I basically taught myself and and I think I've got a half-decent palate and I, I, I'm the kind of guy who can look at a cupboard and say, if I take cottage cheese, corn, paprika and baked potatoes, I can probably turn that into something good. Yeah, like uh, I, I can do that. So I'm pretty good at putting flavors together in my head, and that's definitely helped. Right. Um, so I don't have to do 50 versions of something to get it right. I've got a, a bit of a talent to be able to go. Well, this should work with this. Should work. This, this should work with this. Okay, that didn't work for that reason, but I only need to tweak two things, and I've got it. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I did teach myself, and and uh, have done ever since. Excellent. And you married? Yep. How did you break this to the message? <laughs> so that was fun. Um, we had a little girl who was less than one year old, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely less than one years old. Um, when I when I <clears throat> resigned slash got appointed for six months, um, uh, she was seven months old at that stage, <clears throat> nine months old at that stage, um, and so there was the conversation where. Um, so you see, you know, yeah, you enjoy it? Yeah, I do. I really enjoy it. Um, are you good at it? Yeah, I think I am. I think I'm really good at it. I, and I was a way better CEO than I was a commercial manager. I enjoyed getting back across the sport 
Yeah. Um, I enjoyed getting away from the sponsorship and really getting back into digging into why kids swim fast and why they don't and why people are participating and why they aren't. And, and I love talking to officials and, um, and coaches and about what they were passionate about because they are. Yeah. And in sport, that's, that's the joy about whether it's at an under nine level or whether it's at, at elite level. There's passionate people. It's yeah. one of the great things about sports. So I, I love that about being CEO because I got back to being across the whole sport and I enjoyed the interaction with the government and I enjoyed the, the, the idea of running a team. There were so many things that I really loved about it. Um, and I got to work with good people and people like Waste and state government and all sorts of different interesting people. Yeah. So, so you like it? Yes. You're getting paid okay, aren't you? Yep. Got a car? Yep. It's around the corner. Like it was two minute drive for me, three minutes if the traffic was a bit rubbish to get to work. Um, I, I could, I couldn't, did walk to work until I got the CEO car. And you get a car, yep. Um, so, so you bought a distillery, yes. Uh, so I think I'm gonna like making gin more, okay. Then this is the same girl who put up with me moving to Lithuania. Right. So I was going out with Melinda when I moved to Lithuania. Right. She put up with me doing that and knew she was a keeper. So she, she's a very understanding woman because like she was like, so we're going out, you're moving to Lithuania? Okay then. And, I mean, yeah, it cemented our relationship in the end. We, we knew that we could make that work, then anything could work. But, um, right. And in the same way, it was like, so you like this whole swimming gig, right? But you want to do make gin more? Yeah. Okay, so she is. She's a great woman. She's put up with a lot for me. Right, yeah. uh, and it was as simple as that. Yeah, pretty much. There you go. She she knows when I when I get set on something, I'm pretty hard to dissuade. Right, <laughs> right. And then so you so you, you finish your six months, yeah, and, and then you come here. Yeah, that was interesting. Um, I remember like probably the first day that we officially like, stood behind the counter and I, I might have sold three bottles or something. It might have been 120 bucks we took that day. Yeah. Um, and there were days when we didn't take a single cent. Um, and was that just, still selling the old? This, this is, this is in, so what I did was, so I took over the Wild Swan and I inherited some product and, but very quickly developed my own gin. Um, and then develop some of my own vodkas as well. But mm. we so had some of their product. Um, we had some of their product to start with. So we moved that on. And as I developed product, then we started to put that on the shelf beside it and mm. eventually got to a point that I had a suite of products that I was really proud of. And then that was when it was time to say, right, we can be old youngs now. But right. yeah, I mean, in the very early days of Wild Swan, um, yeah, I, we were, We'd be lucky if we had three visitors or sometimes we had zero visitors on a Sunday or something. And last Saturday we had 190 people booked to come and see us, let alone the people who just swung, swung by. So it's changed stupid amounts. I mean, we've done more in a day than we did. We've done more in a day than we might have done in three months in the early days. I mean, that kind of levels have what, changed. What can you attribute to that? Oh, we make a booze. We tell good stories. We're, we're passionate about what we do. And when I say we, I do this royal we thing, but, um, like I make a booze. I can tell a good story. I, I'm passionate about what I do. When people come and taste, they know that there's a lot of thought and passion that's gone into the products. So people return. I mean, for want of a better measure, um, we've got something like, 225 star reviews on Facebook and four one star reviews. I one, I got a one star review last week. Um, but, <laughs> but, um, it was when we had the 190 people. Book, right. right? 15 people tried to walk in and taste. But yeah, nah. But, um, so, um, yeah, so there's, there's obvious passion. There's good booze. Um, I think we present it well. Um, and so as an experience to come to the cellar door, I think people, or tasting room, I think people really enjoy that. Um, and, and they return. They, we're getting lots of people who say, look, we're, we're back again this year. We're doing the tour. We want to do it again. We had so much fun with you guys. Yeah. Well, what makes a good, good gin? Good question. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess the other question I got with it that is, 
like you said, um, we've seen a, a sort of proliferation of um, like gin, craft brands. Craft, yep, yep. craft brands. Um, gin's become quite a thing. Oh my god! Nowadays, yes. yeah. No, it's no longer is it the reserve of you know spinsters and yeah, absolutely, and, um, and me, yeah, and, and you, you know, dusty librarians. Yes, um, you know, yeah, but uh, then that called the hair. The old look on that. I mean, no, um, the old soak. Yeah. Um, yeah, what makes a good gin and why do you think gin's become a thing? Okay, so um, look, you've got to remember vodka's had its huge, big heyday. So you go back to the early 90s and sort of flavour vodkas came through and all of that kind of thing. And vodka was, became the world's biggest selling white spirit um, by a mile. And <clears throat> I think in the same way that people who all drank it used to drink Emi Bitter or... or, um, or uh, Swan Lager or whatever, um, or MU Export, um, who now are all drinking the, the million different IPAs or whatever that they can now choose from. Yeah. People have got more discerning. People are looking for more interesting things. They want to know where it was made, how it was made, why it was made. So that has led to people say, well, I don't just want to drink Gordon's anymore. I don't just want to drink Bombay Sapphire anymore. So they're looking for new things that are different. So that obviously creates a niche for people like me and all the other small distillers to step into. Um, why gin? I think there's a lot of people have moved from vodka to gin. have sort of said, well, hey, look, vodka's vodka, but it delivers alcohol, but gin is actually has flavoursome and, and mm. has all these infinite number of varieties and um so that that's definitely a part of it. Um, and look, those things are cyclical. Um, so gin is definitely um, having a massive renaissance now and, and it comes also from the cocktail culture that's had a big renaissance as well. So um, great bar, small bars and cocktail bars and the, the speakeasies, the milk and honeys of New York and mm. uh, the Attaboys now and the death and co's and the please don't tells and the employees only. Um, all these amazing bars that sort of started, I guess, maybe 10, 15 years ago. Those great speakeasy revival, speakeasy bars and, and great cocktail bars um, has definitely played towards gin as well because yep. gin is a great base for magnificent cocktails. <clears throat> so <clears throat> that definitely has um, has had a part in it too. So that's, I mean, so that's sort of why I think gin's uh, – Taken off, it's nice and clean dessert. as well, and it's, it? it's a beautiful spirit. I mean, yeah. a, a gin and tonic can be a thing of beauty. I mean, especially in Perth on a stinky hot summer day, it, it's as good as it gets in terms of an incredibly refreshing drink. I mean, I, I'm the wrong person to ask because I'll drink gin yeah. any day, any time. But yeah. I, and I love gin, I always have. But um, yeah, it is a, a magnificent drink. So. Um, so what makes and, it good? and so what makes it good? That's a really good question because gin, gin, apart from the fact that you've got to have juniper, gin, you can put anything you like in. Yeah. So you can put anything from so juniper, uh, the, juniper like berry, the you've got to have juniper, but after that then um, you can't blanche. Mm -hmm. So uh, some of your traditional botanicals are things like coriander seed and licorice and angelica and some citrus, um, um, maybe a bit of aniseed. Uh, there, there's some of your classics, um, and then, but then everything from black truffle to um, pine needles to uh, quandongs to, um, I mean, anything. I mean, there, there, there are so many different things being used to to uh, to make gins unique. Mm. And so, I mean, vodka's vodka because it's a neutral spirit and that's, it's neutral spirit and water, whereas gin is, is there is no limit to where, where it can go. So you get savoury gins and floral gins and you get uh, refreshing gins and big punchy gins and you get, uh, yeah, really spicy gins and like people putting chilli in gin and all sorts of things, mm. um, even sweet gins. Um, so... It has this, this huge big range. And so what makes a good gin? Um, it's got to be a good recipe. It's got to be good liquid. But there's a, there's a million of us out there who make good liquid. Um, so it's more than that. It's more than the liquid. It's, it's, be, it's having good liquid and then be able to tell the story of that liquid. I think if you can't do that, you're not making right. a good gin. A gin. Or certainly you don't have a good gin business. But I, I think that it's really important to know why you're making it. Like my gins, two of my gins are hot summer day gins. 
That's what they are. They're there for hot summer days. They're meant to be that bright, refreshing thing. Thing you take to a desert island and you're set yeah. for life, right? Um, I have another gin, which is my savoury earthy gin. And it's a tribute to the Noongar people of the, of the Swan Valley in the southwest. And so it uses six native botanicals. But there's a philosophy. Yeah. So to me personally, because it's a bit of a – it's like asking a cricketer what makes a good cricketer. Like yeah. You're going to give a way too full-on answer, right? Yeah. Um, but – uh, to me, you've got to understand why you're making your gin. You can't just go, ah, oh, I just want to make gin. You can even tell that sometimes um, a lot of gins that are being released now, there's more than 200 Australian gins, um, a lot of them are being released by people who really want to make whiskey. Right. So they're busy putting down whiskey, but in the meantime, they can't sell that whiskey for at least three years, so they say, oh, we better make a gin in the meantime. We might make a vodka too. So we'll just sell those until we can sell what we really want to sell, which is whiskey. And a lot of the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time you can tell that. Right. Because they've just said, let's just lay down a pretty generic gin. We'll sell it. We'll do all right. Um, but that, their passion, you can sort of tell their passion is not gin. Around it. Yeah. And so, you, I mean, whereas the person who only makes gin tends to make a much better gin. Hmm. Um, so, so that, that, having a philosophy for it, having a passion for it, then obviously having the technical ability to make it. But, um, and, and that sense of well, yeah. what, what flavors do go well together and why, and how are you going to drink it and why are you going to drink it? When are you going to drink it? To me, if you don't know all of those things, what's the outcome you're trying to yeah, deliver? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. When, when someone drinks one gin, how do I want them to feel? I know that sounds wanky, but it, it, it really, like I think about it. Yeah. I, I, I do think about why, why are people drinking this gin? What's the occasion it suits? And to me, that's it's a it's a much broader thing than just getting your recipe right. Hmm. So your recipe is a part of it, but the the philosophy before the recipe is is actually I think even more important. And then the recipe can be shaped by the philosophy, and then the the result comes pretty naturally after that. Yeah. So if you know you're making a hot summer day gin, we think, well, I better put a whole lot of citrus in it um, so that it's nice and bright and fresh. Um, why don't I put, <clears throat> no, kumquats in it or, or uh, and this, why don't I put rosemary in it? Rosemary is magnificent in it. But that doesn't necessarily make my hot summer day gin. Maybe I'll make a different gin with rosemary. Yeah. But that gin doesn't need rosemary because it's a hot summer day gin. Indeed. Now, long answer to a short question. No, great. <laughs> I, I particularly love the idea of you know having the outcome in mind and then the philosophy behind it and then having everything tracked back from that. Yeah. Um, so I understand that you know, most of your ingredients are from locally sourced. Yes. But there's an interesting story behind the juniper berries. Definitely. So um, juniper is a pain in the ass to grow. Okay. Why so it grows at about a meter every ten years. You need male or female plants to produce the uh, to to get berries mm. to be propagated. The female plant is the only one that you can pick the berries from. The berries take about eighteen months to mature. They don't mature at the same time, and you've got green, immature, six month old berries on the tree as well as eighteen month mature berries. Right. So it's just a complete nightmare. Mm. Plus, you need to wait about twenty years before your trees actually start to produce berries anyway. So no one's planting a juniper plantation. It just doesn't, like no one's waiting 20 years to start getting juniper. So there is no commercially grown available juniper in Australia. So my theory was if I can't get Australian, so my, my choice is if I can get local, I get local. Then I'll look Australia-wide and then on this one, particularly on the juniper, I couldn't get Australian juniper. So my theory was, well, I want the world's best. Um, and the world's best juniper is made in, is, sorry, is harvested in Tuscany. And I was not the first person to think of this. Like, it's, it's, uh, it sort of seems obvious now, but yeah. I was like, right, Tuscan juniper. Where can I buy it? And I was like, yeah, no. Nah. And I was actually a bit stunned that I couldn't just Google it. And, um, then I started to dig and you start to end up on forums and stuff and you, you're digging fairly deep and, and you sort of see that people had actually gone, some distillers had gone to Tuscany and said, we want to buy juniper. And the growers all laughed at them because what had actually happened was people like Bombay and Beefeater and Tanqueray thought of this, but 30 years ago. 
Yeah. So they went to Tuscany and they signed up all the growers and they said, we will buy everything you harvest because it's all wild grown. Yeah. So and we will we will take everything you harvest. We'll take a forward contract. For yeah, for however, decades. Yeah. And so the growers are happy because everything they harvest is sold. Big companies are happy because they've got magnificent juniper and then, and then also the, the, the byproduct of that is the little guys like me can't get it. So I, it, took, it genuinely took me eight months to track down a guy who, as far as I could tell, had Tuscan juniper. And he had a tight, it was a little spice merchant in the UK. It sounded like he was bringing in uh, juniper from a couple of farms in Tuscany. And um, he, um, so he had some Tuscan juniper. It's like, Angel started singing. You can <laughs> and um, so I sent him a big long email yep. and said, hey, my name's James. I'm from the Swan Valley. It's a region renowned for its produce. I want to make a world-class gin. We've got amazing produce. We've got citrus and all sorts of things that I can use here. But the one part of the puzzle that I don't have is juniper. And I want the best. And I think that you've got some. So I'm really hoping you'll sell me a small amount. It was lovely. He wrote back to me and said, James, that sounds magnificent. You sound really passionate. I think you can do really, really well. Swan Valley sounds beautiful. No. For fuck's sake. So I got on a plane and I flew to the UK. And I got on a train and I went up to Cambridge and we sat down in a pub in Cambridge and we had a couple of pints. We talked about royal tennis for about an hour because uh, he was very much into royal tennis. I was quite happy to chat about that. Um, apparently Adelaide has a beautiful royal tennis court. There you go. Um, so learned all about that from him and then eventually sort of broached this subject. as well, I've come all this way. I'm really hoping that I'm going to come away with some juniper. And he said, can't. Um, I've already sold it to someone else. And so what had happened when the big players went to his farms, they said, no, we sell to him. So they came to him and said, we'll buy everything. But the... We had, we had that conversation, the deal that you can only kind of do in a pub, which was the kind of penny dropped again where I went, well, what if you dropped a bag and it went all over the floor in your warehouse? Like, you can't sell that to them, can you? They're like, no. I said, what if that bag magically just came back together with all the juniper inside it again and then you send it to me? And he said, why do you want me to write it off and then give it to you? I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I want you to do. <laughs> um, they don't need to know, but I need it and they don't. Um, and so he said, yeah, right. So for two years, basically, that's what he did. He wrote it off. Don't know. Oh, my God, where did that bag go? And then it turned up on my doorstep. So that was how I became the only Australian distiller. And as far as I know, even up until a month or so ago, still the only Australian distiller that's got Tuscan mm. juniper. You still get bags. So I still get bags. So now I'm actually on his books. Right. So I, I, yeah, get, my, I get them legit. Paid <laughs> for it. Yeah. Oh, they were always paid for, yeah. but um, they were, uh, they, they, yeah, they, they, uh, yeah, he, he was, oh, we've got a bit of wastage this month. I'm sorry. We can't give you the extra 15 kilos we, off, we normally send you because um, it came here. Um, so, mm. That, yeah, that's how it became, and that's the heart of my every single gin I make. That's a really important part of my gin, and it's part of my story, um, and, it's a, and it's something I'm really proud of to be part of my story. So it, it's, it's definitely – it sits at the heart of every single one of my gins, and it's good gear. Awesome. It's a really, really nice product. Awesome. Um, what sort of things have you learned about yourself setting this business up? Oh, I've learned all these skills that I didn't think that I ever had and never wanted. I've, I've become handy. Like I go to Bunnings now. Does my head in? Like I, I was the guy who would avoid all of these things. Um, I was the guy who would never like like a home renovation show would be the last thing I would put forks in my eyes rather than watch something like that. But these days, like I go to Bunnings and I kind of repair things for myself. And oh god, it's horrible. Um, I've developed all these skills that I didn't necessarily ever want. Um, so I've learned I can be handy. Um, I've learned I can do repetitive things. I can work. Learned I can work hard again. Um, that's been good. Um, getting out from behind a desk—it's been lovely. Um, I worked till six a.m. in the morning two nights ago. Um, started at I think nine a.m. So I did a twenty-one hour day, um, and then I was back awake by—I was home at six a.m. six thirty, and then back out here by nine. So. In 24 hours, I was here for, for 21 of them. Um, 
And I'll be back here at 6 o'clock now. I'll be back here at 3 a.m., 3.30 a.m. tomorrow morning because I need to do another gin run. So I've learned to work hard again. Um, and, I mean, I've, I've learned that I can, like, this sort of nice, this amazing feeling of being able to make something, Yeah. Um, which is pretty special. Um, I'm getting a real sense that the actual making something and then expressing yourself by doing that is, yeah. is a big thing. Oh, definitely. I mean, the... The concept, I mean, I had the big rant up on the wall, the, the old Young's Manifesto, and one of them says make something. Yeah, I was, um, I was going to ask you about yeah, that. Yeah, so, um, and that's that's one of many things, but that the, the make something is something that I'm really, really proud of. I like the fact that I physically make something. Every single bottle that goes out of the distillery is is hand number to hand signed by me. I, I touch every single bottle that comes out. Um, I've made every, I made every single product, everything that goes into the bottle I've made. So, um, and I love the fact that people take it home and enjoy it and share it and, and hopefully talk, talk about it. And I, and I know a lot of people enjoy it. So that, that's a really nice part of it. Um, and, and it's, it's a fun community. It's a really nice industry to be in at the moment. It, if I, I had never thought about this, but know how I talked about I went to Lithuania because it, it had the place had this real sense of optimism and and, and energy about it. Well, in some ways, craft distilling is a bit like that um, okay. because craft distilling in Australia is maybe half a percent of the entire market. Yeah, um, in the states is about one point two, but craft beer now is about fourteen percent. So the scope for growth is, is enormous, style. right? Yeah, if, in. 14% of all American beer sales is now craft beer. Right. So when you think about the squillion dollars that Americans spend on on, craft, on beer, yeah. 14% of that is now craft beer. So um, so craft distillings like that, but 15 years earlier in the in the down the path. So we're all at this point that we're not competing with each other for um, for a sale. If someone buys Old Young's, they're more likely to buy Hippocampus. They're more likely to buy West Winds. They're more likely to buy um, uh, lime burners, right? Because if they try one, then they'll try another one. Um, so our goal is to just say, well, stop drinking Bombay. Stop mm. drinking Gorg. There's Gorg, much so. collaboration between them. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. So there's this really nice collaborative sense um, at the mm. moment where I, I had uh, this the founder of a really great Australian uh whiskey brand um, here yesterday. He flew over and we chatted for a day about what I'm doing right now. Um, and I don't think that would happen in wine anymore. No. I, it's too competitive. It's, it's, yeah. it's a little, it's, there's too many people and it's really tough. But we're a hundred little distillers trying to like break, break open a market and create a niche in the market. So yeah, absolutely. And I get calls. I, I had a guy who was going to make um, gin in Greenland come and visit me and show me his gin. And I talked to him for a couple of hours about what I thought he could do and what he couldn't do. And uh, there's a little distillery that's just opened up in West Perth. They brought their stuff out every week for four weeks and sort of said, what do you think? What do you think? There's another distillery in Swan Valley doing the exact same thing. So more than – like it, it is exceptionally collaborative. And that's yeah. when I talk about that energy in So it's a fun Europe. time to be in It is market. a great fun time to be we've not, in. We've not hit the – The the whole like, oh, God, it's dog, dog. We can't be nice to each other anymore. You know the wankiness that goes. Yeah, in that. yeah. So, um, yeah, and it's it's a it's a really nice time to be in what is a, a nascent industry that's going to be a great industry over time. Australians make great wine; they've made great beer. There's no reason we can't do great things, not just nationally but internationally, with great spirits too. Mm. We're starting. I mean, Australian whiskey is now regarded very highly, but in ten years' time, it's going to be completely different. Yeah, it's. There'll be great Australian spirits brands out there internationally. Cool. Have you found that, obviously you said you did, previously you've done a lot of research into yeah. gin yeah. in your past. <laughs> Have you found that your relationship with gin and booze has changed since you started? I drink today? less than, when I ever, than ever before. And I always sort of say it's like a kid in a candy shop. I, I actually ask. think that might be bullshit. Um, I suspect <clears> it's because I've got two kids under five and I'm working six and a half days a week. So I, don't, I, I honestly don't have time to drink. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, yeah. And so 
give it five years and I might be quite happily drinking a million gin and tonics again. But um, right now I don't. But uh, it's I think it's more circumstantial than anything. I still yeah. love a gin and tonic, but um, and I still do love gin. Like I still do yeah. love a gin and tonic. There's not a time when I go got on board with my product, tasted that. I'd much rather have a beer. Yeah. Um, I'm still more than happy. Like I open a couple of my bottles. Like if I open the six seasons of gin, if I'm serving it and I pull that cork off, that waft of smell, I still adore. I can I can smell that, and it's very very visceral. And I can yeah. I know exactly what that smells like. Same with the 1829. Like those gins, I know, um, and so yeah. I mean, and even <clears throat> some of the new gins that I'm starting to muck about with, um, they're going to have their own personalities, and I know them too. Yeah. How do you um, also reconcile the fact that, like, you make this beautiful gin, mm. and like, you can have two or three gins, and it's all you know, you're tasting it, and this, that, and the other. But then you reach that tipping point where mm. you know you're getting drunk, yeah, and then it just disappears and you could be drinking you could you get to that <laughs> point you, you could be drinking Bombay you yeah. could be drinking Gordon's yeah and and I don't know do, do you ever get sort of protective about your product no 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 not at all just, um, I think you've got to be no is the answer yeah um, do you understand what I'm asking yeah I do um, so no 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 because to me I'm providing a product to them <clears throat> it's not I'd, I shouldn't be putting ticket I shouldn't be putting any um uh, provisos on how you drink my gin. If, if mm. you want to drink my, if you want to drink three quarters of a bottle of my gin and, and have a great night and fall down and feel a little bit shabby the next day, good on you. <laughs> yeah. I've been that person way too many times. But um, but also for those people who wanted to have it because they've got thirty gins on their gin shelf and they just want it there, yeah. Um, and they might have a sip of it every now and then. Yeah. Both equally valid ways of drinking the gin. Yeah. Um, so for me, no, 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 I would never want to, I would never want to, um, I will have an idea of how I think the gin can be drunk and I, when it could be drunk or why. But if someone says, hey, look, I put your Pavlova vodka in Fanta and I had a, we had a massive night or we did it in shops, <laughs> so be it. Like, yeah, that's great. I mean, and so um, that that's kind of I make the product and put it out there, but if people want to go and do new and fun and different things with it, go nuts. So That's great, absolutely. And I kind of someone put our Pavlova vodka and turned it into a sorbet at Christmas. Brilliant! What was like? That just sounds amazing. I want to go to your house. That sounds cool. I marinated a steak and I smoked vodka because I could. Like it's just so you can have some fun with it, and you should have some fun with it. It's not meant. Uh, I went to a masterclass where a couple of gin makers got up and said. My gin is a sipping gin. My gin is never to be put with tonic because my gin is way too serious. To to, I was like, oh my god! Do you want a? Do you want to like eliminate ninety five percent of your audience because they're probably going to prefer it in a gin and tonic? And just like, how fucking wanky is that to tell people (laughs) that that's the only way your gin can be drunk? So I want people to enjoy it, and I hope that they do. But. Christ, we've all been there when we need a, a third drink and a fourth drink, and maybe we may need an eighth drink. Maybe we don't need it, but we're going to have it anyway. Yeah. Like, it's to drink quality right. the and and like and yeah, and there may be a time when you. Oh God, I did European Gin of the Year ch- ch- um, uh, judging, and we tried fifty gins in a day. It's on my birthday. There's no way I was spitting it out, um, and uh, <clears throat> I was an observer, so I was I was talking in the conversations around it, but my marks didn't count um, in the end. So um, so I was like, well, hell yeah, I'm drinking all of these. And my, my notes started at the start of the day, like, beautiful, very well thought out. And by the end, it was like seven out of ten and no. <laughs> um, uh, and then we, in the end, we tasted the top five again and then we awarded gin of the year. So, um, and your palate's a bit shot. So, look, I, I completely appreciate that. Five gins in, like, might not matter that you're drinking Gordon's, nothing wrong with Gordon's, right? But, um, yeah, like, there's, there's a time and a place. There's a time yeah. and place for all these things. And, and look, if people want that first gin and they know that they want that gin that's going to be lip smackingly good, there's a whole bunch of great Australian gins out there mm. they can have. Um, and sometimes, like, it's all about balance. There's a, you're never going to love Grange as much if you've, if you've only, if, if you only ever drink Grange. But if you've drunk a goon bags, 
$8 bottles of wine, $15 bottles of wine, $30 bottles of wine, then you appreciate the $300 bottle of wine. Yeah. Um, if you only drink the, the $300 bottle of wine every day, what's the point? Like it, it's like the person who, if you stay, only ever stayed in five-star resorts, well, you've never got to backpack. You've never stayed in the flea-infested, like, dodgy mm. one-star motel in in Turkey or something and had the experiences that you do. Like, Your life, stories are going to be one-dimensional. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you, to me, life is all about balance and experience as much of the gamut of what you can experience as you can. Mm. Um, is that what comes through in the manifesto? Oh, yeah. Look, I am definitely I mean, a bit preachy. Yeah. Um, I mean, just, just for readers out uh, listeners out there, you know, there's a manifesto on the wall with lots of gamuts. I mean, just a few to bring out here. Get dirty, stay clean, get off your phone, don't be shit. Um, <laughs> an argument is not a fight. I love that one. I do too. We all fuck up, make good, learn, be better, move on. Oh, that's important. That's gold. It's okay not to be busy. Oh, my God, that's so important. Oh, look, that's <laughs> me preaching. Fuck's sake, stop saying you're busy when people ask how you are. Like I, I, I apologize when I say it because I am busy, but I don't want to be. Uh, I'd much rather be the guy who's just like, how, how's, how, you, how are you doing? Like, not busy at all. Yeah. Like, working two days a week and really happy. Yeah. Like, what's wrong with that? Like, check and the next time you ask people. Guarantee you 80% of the time when you ask someone, they'll say, how are you doing? All yeah. busy. Like, it's a default position. Like, that's the way you should be. Yeah. What a horrible way to live your life. Like, why not, I mean, why not revel and say, how are you? Not busy at all. Mm. Like, spent a lot of time with my family this week. Yeah. Um, went to the beach six times this week. Spent like, my time wisely. Doing yeah, stuff I enjoy. yeah, exactly. Well, and, I mean, one of them is work smarter. Um, it's the very yeah. first one. Work smart's the very first one. Like, work, be smart. Get out of the door at 4.30 because you got everything done and, Go and go to the beach or spend time with friends, have a gin. Yes. Like do do whatever it is, but like do those things. That I am so passionate about that. That um my goal's not to be busy. I'm busy now, but like that's the part and parcel of setting up a business. But that's not my that's not my end default position. I'm my end default to be, position to be not not busy at all. I want to be the guy that they say, Oh God, the owner's never here. Like fucking great. Like well done. Like <laughs> why should he be? If if you get it right, she be. Um if you get it if you get it right, then hopefully you can do some really I enjoy making my spirits. Mm. And I enjoy talking about my spirits, but um there's other things I want to do too. So yeah, there's a lot in there. I mean don't yeah. be shit is always the one that people go to. Get off <laughs> your phones aimed at me. Um the what else was there? The um, get dirty but stay clean is a good one. I like the stop that, yeah, um, because everybody has a that that they need to probably stop at some stage or stop doing. Where quite did all so this much. come from? Just this uh, almost a night drinking gin. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, a couple of gins, um, probably. Um, but yeah, I kind of just it was a bit of a stream of conscious start writing it and couldn't stop. Um, and then I tried to make put it into a bit of sense, so like it sort of started about the things you should do and then the try to the, the bits of advice and then the last were sort of the slightly more philosophical things like an argument that's not a fight is absolute favourite because you can learn so much from someone who has the opposite point of view if you're respectful. Yeah. So if you're prepared to listen to the other person and if they're prepared to listen to you, then you can learn so much. Um, the reason it becomes a fight is because people show no respect. and and But also... You meet some people who you'll say to them, I disagree. You might not say, I respectfully disagree. You might say, well, that's fucking wrong, isn't it? Um, but, um, they, they, um, will then take that as, well, now this is a fight because you've disagreed with them. It's like, yeah. no, no, no. Present your argument too. Yeah. Like, I want to hear that. back. I want to hear that this is not me just saying I disagree. I disagree because of this, this and this. I want to hear what you think of it because of this, this and this. Yeah. And that's fun. Like a debate can be magical. You can learn so much in a really good, strong, robust debate. And to me, that's what it is. I mean, an argument is not a fight, it's a debate. And that's why it's great fun. Um, but, yeah, I've met plenty of people, including my wife at times, who was like, <laughs> you having a go at me? No, I'm not. I'm not having a go at you. I might be having a go at your view, but I want to know why you've got that view. Yeah. 
So yeah, so that yeah, that's, love it. Yes, and uh, look, some things like the get off your phone is definitely a message back to myself. Indeed. Sleep more is get a message back to myself. Yes. Superb. So, what does the next um, five, seven, ten years look like? Oh God, I'm struggling with the next twelve months. Um, Obviously, a lot less busy. Yeah, that'd be nice. Five years, seven years. Yeah, definitely less busy. Um, what does success look like for you? Oh, being happy. Uh, being happy, being able to spend time with the people that you care about, um, being able to look after those people you care about. That's the important thing. So like, to me, and I'm, I'm turning into a grumpy old philosopher and I think that um, potentially having kids or um, for me having kids again um, it has a part, it comes to a part of that, and you tend to think about these things a bit more. Um, but you like realizing what's important and, and taking care of those things is the most important thing to me. And like, I did this partly for me, but a lot for my family. I thought that I, it was something I could do well and, and something that in the end could help me provide for my family, um, but also keep me happy and if I if I'm happy doing what I'm doing I'm a better person to be around and, mm. and uh, hopefully like a better person to live with and 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 a better better person generally I hope I hope um I think I am um so yeah um that's 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 the philosophy again coming back to that uh, that's where I, I want to be in terms of that but um who knows? I mean, if, if in seven years we're still selling a lot of gin, then great. Someone wants to come and give me a pot of cash to say, hey, well done, and I want to take it further then. Yeah. Then I don't know if I'd even take it, but um, that would be lovely, lovely to think that someone wanted to do that. But if if in seven years we're a part of the Valley, and I, and I absolutely think we should be, if we're, a, if we're really deep set in the Swan Valley as a, as a business, then then that's brilliant. And if I'm spending bugger all time here, then even better. Excellent. Yeah. Coming around and annoying people, definitely coming, why are you doing it that way? I never used to do it that way. I want to be that guy. (laughs) Why don't you do it like this? I always did it like that. Um, That'd be great fun. Excellent. What's the best bit of advice you've ever had? Oh, some of them sort of come out in the manifesto, um, but... That's a really good question. Um, I don't know if it's the best bit of advice that I ever had, but um, Bill Luck, who was the founder of Luck Distillery, turned up one day really early on, before I was old jokes. Just turned up. Like, didn't know it was coming. He decided to do a bit of a tour of Australian distilleries. And I didn't. And I was like, oh, my God, like the godfather of Australian distilling here, Bill Luck's here. And he said, James, you're doing it right. Just... Keep doing what you're doing. Trust what you're doing. You don't. You don't need pots of cash to do this. You don't need. Uh, you don't need millions of dollars to do this. He said I was able to do it just from from bootstraps. And every time I needed to do something, if I had enough money to do it, if I didn't have enough money, I, I didn't. And um, and the good thing about that for me was just that vote of confidence that it'll be all right. And you don't have to come into it with a, with a pot of cash. There's plenty of distillers out there who are like, oh, my God, I couldn't, my life was so unfulfilling at Goldman Sachs, so I took my $5 million payout and now I've got a distillery. I was the guy who went, well, I did this with 20 grand and, and, and I built it up. So that was a really nice affirmation for me that I could do yeah. it that way, and I think about that a lot. So I don't know if that's the best piece of advice, but it's definitely a very valuable piece of advice. Awesome. Awesome. Um what piece of advice would you give anybody else who's out there thinking? Oh, ha, all right. Vodka. So now, <laughs> um, I don't know about gin and vodka distilling. Um, don't do it. Um, no, that's it's the that's the classic. Um, Dad was a lawyer. I used to meet all these lawyers, and I'd say, "I think you're doing law," and every single one of them said, "Don't do it," and yet they did. None of them left. Um, and so I would never say, "Don't do it." As a distiller, it's, it's great fun, um, and there's a lot of. There's a lot of scope to do really amazing things. Um, but I'm going to go slightly broader than that. I And it's not the answer I guess you're going to expect. But um, I obviously overthink these things. And so uh, the, the thing that people formulate, thing that people expect from me is to say, do the thing you love. Um, but I'm not actually that massive a fan of that idea. Um, I know this is going to sound weird, but so my grandfather was a, was a miner. He went down, down a hole and 
drilled into into hard rock every day. And he was a great man. Like, he was a wonderful man. He was a great man. And he was defined by the, his love for his family and what was important in his life. And, and so he wasn't defined by his job. He... Um, he was, he maybe was a wonderful man despite his job, but like, um, he, so I don't think you should ever feel like you're defined by your job. So that's one part of your life. So yeah. to me, I'm really lucky. I happen to find something that I love and that I'm good at and I get, I'm getting to live the dream. That, that's, that's wonderful. But if you're not, that's not an excuse to not have a wonderful life. Hmm. Um, you can't go, oh, well, life's terrible because I hate my job. I think so. What? Like, go and make something else about your life great. Yeah. Um, be the best volunteer at the baseball club that you can be, and love the fact that you create you, that you helped four hundred kids join and play baseball, or do open water swimming, or travel, or be the best parent. And you might hate your job, but you come home at five o'clock every day, don't you? And so you've got time to spend time with your family. So to me, it's not just, it is do what you love, but it doesn't have to be your job. Yeah. It, it, and it almost certainly, it 90% of the time, it won't be your job. Um, it'll be every, everything else. So to me, your job's just a part of it. Um, and look, if you're lucky and you happen to fall into something that you're amazing at, that's great. But if you're not, find something else. So find, find those things about your life that you love and those people in your life that you love and, and, and just get off on that. Yeah. So yeah, do the thing you love, but it's not, it doesn't have to be work. Excellent. Excellent. James, thank you very much for today. My pleasure. It's been awesome talking to you. It's been very entertaining, but hugely insightful at the same time. Thank you very much for being very open and honest and sharing all your My views. My pleasure. Um, I'd also like to thank the listeners. I'm pretty sure you'll have had a, a, a hugely entertaining time listening to this. As <laughs> listening well as to me wrap it on. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and hopefully you'll have been doing it with a gin and tonic in your hand. Yeah, that'd be nice. Indeed. James, thank you very much. Pleasure.